This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. We're in this series called Living with the End in Mind. And today, the goal of the whole message is that we would not get to the end of our lives and die fools. That we would not run this race and in the end... Uh, and all along the way, live foolishly. We want to gain a heart of wisdom, and today we're going to see that the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 for part 7. We're talking about growing in wisdom through good times and bad. And after last week's services, uh, I got in the car with my son, daughter, and son-in-law. My son-in-law drove us to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma for an event at Alex Amaya's church. And it gets me every time. I'm not prepared for it. I've been going there 15 years. But five miles from Hamaya's church is the last known exact change only toll booth left in the country as far as I know. And guess what? I don't carry coins. Don't have any coins. But watch this. How many of you can come up right now with a dollar fifteen an exact change. Would you raise your hand? I want to see the hands of those who carry coins. What's your plan today? I just have to know. Why do you need the change? You can't get a soda for a dollar fifteen. You need ten quarters to get a Diet Coke out of a pop machine now. So, but thankfully I was in the car because I'm old enough I can still scrounge up some change. And I just want to, I just, I have to tell you all, if you're living at a place where you're like, the next generation doesn't need me, oh, they need you. And I found that out at the exact change toll booth in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Once I got the $1.15, I handed it to my son-in-law, and I, I kid you not, he goes, do I just throw it in this funnel thing? His first time at an exact change toll booth. And let me tell you, old people, your grandchildren, they need you. They need your wisdom and your change. Give me an amen on that one right there. They need coins. And so how many of you, I have to ask this, how many of you, if you didn't have exact change and there were no instructions on what to do if you didn't have exact change, uh, would still be sitting there now a week later? Uh, raise your hand. You like, you can't drive through it. Let me tell you, drive through it and uh, you'll get a bill in the mail for $1.15. So, uh, and if you drive through it and they pull you over and say, my pastor told me to drive through that thing. I didn't have any change. So I still, it's amazing. It's the year. I just want to remind everyone of the year. It's 2023. Uh, let's get some, at least some change machines out there uh, for us. So all of that to say, Proverbs 16, 31, gray hair carries the change. That's all we know. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. But here's what we know about Proverbs. This is not a guarantee. Gray hair is a sign, okay, of age and experience. You've lived a few years. You've been through some toll booths, okay? But it does not guarantee wisdom and maturity. And every person in here knows at least one old person who's a fool. You do. Don't look at people looking around the room. Let me see. I'll just, I'll see if... I can tell you that's not what, but you know, age is not a guarantee of wisdom. You've known plenty of people who lived their lives, got to the end. And you would say of that person, they were into expressing their own opinions, but they weren't people of understanding. 
Uh, they were into answering before listening. All of these are what the Proverbs describe as foolish living. And, and so you know a fool. But I, I, I today want to lean into that voice of wisdom. The person who's lived a life, they've learned some things in good times and in bad times. And that's how you really begin to understand because in good times you're going to meet wise and foolish people. In bad times you're going to meet wise and foolish people. Here's what I think we learn a little bit as we age and the gray hair starts to set in. I love, I go to some churches repeat every year and every time I show up they're like, your beard's getting more gray. And that's what I say. I love it. And I'm not going to start dyeing it. I'm keeping it. I want jet. I just want white. I want white. I'll be Santa Claus in my 60s and 70s. I got the body type. I just need the hair. And my retirement gig in Branson is Bass Pro Santa down there. But when you're 20 years old, right, you, you tend to care what everyone thinks. It's how you dress, what you drive, it's where you go. You care too much what people think. In your 40s, some of you heard the expression, your give a dang breaks. You stop caring what people think. But by the time you hit 60, you realize no one was really ever thinking about you in the first place. <laughs> that's called wisdom. And that's, the, that's where we're going to start. This is a long chapter in Ecclesiastes. We cannot cover every verse but we're going to start in verse 11 and go through verse 14 to get the theme of this chapter. And then we'll come back to verse 1. Again, we can't cover all of this chapter, but we are going to hit wisdom. And here's what we read in Ecclesiastes 7, 11 through 14. Wisdom like an inheritance. I love that because I, I as one dad, I, I do plan on passing on a couple of bucks to my children. But more than that, I want to pass on wisdom. I want to get to the end of my life and at my funeral, my kids can say he, he lived a wise life. My dad didn't die a fool. It's a good thing. Benefits those who see the sun. Most agree that's just another expression of living life under the sun that we've read plenty in Ecclesiastes, life upon this earth. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Goes with them all through life. Verse 13. Consider what God has done. Now this is important. God in good times and in bad times. God over good times and God over bad times. We take one with the other. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. Celebrate. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. And here's the temptation we have in both good times and bad times. During good times, we may become arrogant and forget God. This is prosperity. This is what prosperity can do to us. We can begin to pat ourselves on the back. We can see what has been done before us and we can begin to take credit for it. And move away from God. Here's the other temptation. During bad times, we, we may become angry and blame God. And the scripture is going to give us this wisdom. And it's going to start with a funeral. If uh, you've been to a funeral at Woodland Hills Family Church. Or you've been to a funeral that I have officiated over. You know this is where I start every funeral at our church. In Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4. And it's where we're going to go to the end of life to discuss this wisdom. And then we're going to unpack it because it's at a funeral 
that you begin to ask all the right questions. Funerals are recalibrating events, or they should be. Funerals tend to change everything about your priorities. We've had several close family members in this church who lost loved ones this week. It's always something to me when you wake up and get that news and you know a phone call needs to be made, but you had your priorities for the day. You had what you thought was going to be important all planned out. And when you make that phone call, you're like, everything I had planned today, it just doesn't matter as much. It's just not as important. See, that's what the house of mourning does. That's what a funeral does. A funeral begins to recalibrate the way we look at life, the way we look at our lives as we take the heart, the death of a loved one, a family member, or a friend. And so let's begin in chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume. The day of death is better than the day of birth. Grows that idea a little bit in verse 2. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. It's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. Is there anything wrong with a party? Is there anything wrong with a feast? No. But parties don't teach us. If you go, I love doing comedy. If you go and listen to comedy, I don't ever walk out of comedy going, that changed my life. I'm never going to be the same. But you should leave a funeral that way. You should most definitely leave a funeral changed and asking the most important questions in life. For death is the destiny of everyone. And that's what happens when you sit at a funeral saying, if the Lord does not return, this will one day be me. People will be here taking to heart my death. And that should change the questions you ask and it should change the way you live. As you take to heart the death of a loved one, the living should take this to heart. And that's what a funeral is, taking to heart the death of a loved one, and bringing into the perspective and the reality of my own life. Verse 3. Frustration is better than laughter. Again, nothing wrong with laughter, but laughter is not a teacher. Uh, a cheerful heart, uh, Proverbs describes as good medicine, but it doesn't teach us. Frustration can teach us because a sad face is good for the heart. And he's saying it's in these times that we lean into wisdom. And any of the folly in our life, the foolishness that we've been uh, running toward or the foolish people we've been hanging out with, that all should start to fade away. We should realize I'm not hanging out with the right people. I'm not making the right decisions. I'm not living the life I know I'm called to live. Those are all perspectives that we should take out of a house of mourning. And it says the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. This I just add this because we were talking about it after the last service, many of us. It's happening today with funerals and weddings, but everybody wants everything to be fast, right? You know, I get this when I prepare for a wedding. You know, how long do you want your wedding to be? 12 minutes. Okay, that's, that's like, that's fast. Like, everybody you're paying a lot. Let's slow this bad boy down and let's spend a little time at it. I think we do the same with funerals. And, and I'm, not, I'm not telling you what to do right here. I just am asking you to consider it because I think it can be application of this text. The next time someone you know, you love, you've spent time with, and you're mourning the death of a family member or a friend, take time off work. Travel to that funeral. Uh, for families that are considering even having a funeral for a loved one, have the funeral. Go to the house of mourning. Mourn with those who are mourning. Grieve with those in your family and your friends that need you to grieve. And if I'm just going to add this as a pastor who's seen it time and time again, don't rush it. The scripture says the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. We don't need to rush through this. This is very important with what we do as a church. To spend time in the house of mourning, the heart of fools is in the house 
of pleasure. So now as we go through the rest of this great chapter, we're just going to get some great wisdom on how you and I should live in good times and in bad times. And how you and I should continue to trust the sovereignty of God when we go through prosperity and how we should trust the sovereignty of God when we go through adversity. And and young people, we're not to chapter 12 yet, but chapter 12 of this great book says, chapter 12, verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come where you say, I find no pleasure in them. Young people in your 20s and 30s with no change in your pocket, lean in. Lean into this wisdom. Lean into this wisdom and take it with you your whole life. And it starts with this great thought in the next verse, verse 5. Turn up substance and mute noise. And your life right now, your devices right now, your friends, are, are you got so much noise coming at you. And it not only, don't just turn it down, mute it all together and find the voices. Find the wise people in your life. And they're just, they're just men and women of substance. That when you talk to them, just everything they speak, is you just hang on their word. Find those people because bad company corrupts good character. Lean into substance. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. And then he describes the song of fools. You'll get this word picture. We'll get it here in the Ozarks. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot. What does that mean? It's like, uh, it's a fast burn. It's flat, it's flashy and makes a splash or it makes a noise. I'm mixing metaphors there, but it, it makes just a big poo and then it's gone. We would understand it here in the Ozarks with the burning of cedar trees. I, I moved to the Ozarks over 20 years ago and, and I didn't know at first as we started taking down cedars, like we did things in Illinois, but we just kind of piled them all into one big pile. Now I know why they have small little piles in the yards to burn a little at a time, but we just brushed all these cedars together. And then again, being from Illinois, we had to use an accelerant to get our brush fires going. But guess what? If you're new to the Ozarks, anybody new to the Ozarks? And I know it's, if you moved here in the last year, would you raise your hand? Let me just, this is just extra bonus material right here. You don't need accelerants on your cedar piles, okay? But we threw a little gas on that thing and then I thought it'd be fun to let my eight-year-old start this fire. Well, I stood back. No, I didn't do that. I didn't know what was coming. All I remember was, and I mean, 30, 40, 50 feet in the air were these flames. Doris Tillis comes walking out her back door, screaming, calls the fire department, settle down, Doris. Fire's going. The fire department shows up. There's nothing left. Just me standing there with a hose, face beat red, no eyebrows. Going, I got it, guys. I got it. What Solomon is saying is, that's a, that's, that's a fool. They're loud. They make a big whoo! And, but there's, there's just nothing left. D- don't spend your life with those people. Don't hang around with the fool who loves expressing his opinion. Who just loves answering, answering, answering and never listening. A person of understanding. That's a wise person. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. So now what happens when you hit the bad times? He's going to continue in verse 9 with avoid angry outbursts and be patient through adversity. That's wisdom. 
That comes with age and experience. Wisdom can be learned. Age and experience, because after you've lived maybe 60, 70 years under the sun, you have moments where something hits you and you go, that kind of reminds me of the time. You survived that. You saw God work in those days. You're seeing God work in these days. And we talk a lot about unresolved anger at this church. And unresolved anger is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to get sick. You never bury anger dead. You always bury it alive. And you know what we're dealing with in our country right now and in our churches right now? A lot of angry people who have a lot of buried alive anger. And every day you get up to figure out what you need to be mad about today. Because that's anger. It's got to find out. What does the scripture say? Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit. You hear something and if your immediate response is, okay, that's a quickly provoked spirit. Somebody says something that you don't agree with. A healthy person, okay, isn't threatened by the opinions and feelings of other people. A healthy person doesn't see the opinions and feelings of other people as an attack on theirs. You don't need to be so quickly provoked. And that's where we're at today. Everybody's mad and we turn on the TV or we scroll our social media to find out who should I be mad at today? The pastors, that the kind of the circle that I run in, it's like, there's not a pastor. I can't think of one pastor of a large church that hasn't been attacked in the last couple of years. They're just all on the chopping block. And I know they have weeks where like, nobody's coming after me this week, but you just wait. You say that one line, we're coming after you. You're done. You see where I'm at? Okay, let me just, let me share some things with you. This is very important. I'm telling, isn't this great? Don't be quickly provoked with stuff. So I'm trying to tell you. Pay attention to what I'm saying. You need to settle down. I tell my kids, how many, and don't judge me, parents, as you've told your kids, settle down! Let's all take a breath. We got 19 minutes. I didn't do that in the first service. I was fine, but I'm looking at a couple people out here that I'm just like, I'm ready to go. I stretched before this service, so I'm ready. I wrote this down. Go with me for just a moment. Every single one of us in here has at least one bad moment in life that you are not proud of. Look around there. You have one. It's like, whoo. And the older generation in here, you are blessed because that bad moment wasn't during the internet season of life. You didn't have phones when you lost it. Every single one of us in here has at least one bad moment in life that had it been recorded and broadcast, you'd be canceled. You'd be done, you'd be fired, you'd be gone. Let's keep that in mind this week as we see people targeted on social media. Because that's all it is. It's just a bunch of angry people finding a new target. And we're all quickly provoked. That is foolishness. That is, the, that is the lap of a fool. And I get sucked into it just like you do. I, I'll sense it. I have like two people in my life that I can send stuff to that I'm like, I'm not going to cuss out loud on this one. I promise you. But I mean, I can send it to him. And you know, one of my friends, all he sends back is, don't take the bait. That's good. That's all the advice. You know what? That, that's the rebuke of a wise person in my life. Don't take the bait. I'm preaching. I'm trying. Okay. All right. Now here, let me tell you, verse 10. Seniors, if we haven't stepped on your toes yet, 
Here we come. This is going to be good. Resist the temptation to exaggerate the past. And every generation does this. We live in a time where we're trying to rewrite history, trying to erase history, when we're called, I believe, to learn from it. And every generation, when going through adversity, wants to point to times in the good old days. And what do we do? We compare bad times with good times. Terrible terrible way to try to process what we're going through. Look at what he says. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? Don't say it. For it is not wise to even ask such questions. Every single generation in here can look back on good times. I was thinking to my senior friends in here, you're looking back on a time of work ethic and patriotism, but you don't talk about some of the other issues of those days. And I just want to remind all my millennial friends and Gen Z, you're one day going to have offspring. Okay, the difference between your generation and your grandparents' generation is you and all your friends had mobile devices. I had thought, thought about this. My grandkids going back and looking at my social media feed from 20 years ago. Every generation can look back on the past and exaggerate it and exaggerate the times. Like I found this picture of my parents on their way to school. (laughs) Now, that's my parents on the way to school. I couldn't believe this, but I actually this week found a picture of them on their way home. (laughs) Uphill both ways. You live in these days. You go through good and bad times in these days. And we have to guard our hearts to make sure that we're not shining a spotlight on the good times 40 years ago, neglecting the bad times. We don't want to talk about these bad times and comparing those to the bad times of today. It's just not, it's just not wisdom. It's foolishness. And this next one, uh, Lord, guard my heart and my tongue on this next one. Don't count on your good behavior to secure good times. We call this Scripture is going to call it over-righteous. You probably use the term often, self-righteous. It says, in this meaningless life of mine, I have been, I have seen both of these. The righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. And a lot of times this passage is brought up, every pastor I know, every church I know has had some version of this sermon. Why do bad things happen to good people? And years ago, Pat Kershaw's mom, Muriel Blair, she's been with the Lord for many years now. Uh, But in her 90s, if I ever hinted to that in a sermon, uh, why do bad things happen to good people, and try to explain it, she would walk up to me in her 90s. She'd get right, just as serious as can be, and this is all she'd say and walk away. She'd go, who's good? (laughs) That's good theology. (laughs) But this, this is what, in good times and bad times, we start to say, well... We have these bad times because of this. We have these good times because of this. And so this is Solomon. And this is probably the most misinterpreted, misunderstood passage in all of Ecclesiastes. And so we'll, we'll say what it's not saying first and then come back to what it is actually teaching us. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Okay? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? This is not saying go out and sin a little. 
Spring a little sin into your life to find some balance. That's not at all what this is talking about. What this is talking about is that showy worship. Our best example of it, when Jesus went after the Pharisees in Matthew 23, he was very clear. It's that Pharisee mindset that's being dealt with here. This idea that I have a list, and many of you grew up with a list. And the list started from the Scripture. It came out of the Scripture, but then it became a tradition, and we started adding other things to the list. These are the do's and the don'ts. If you want to walk with Christ and you want to be a part of this church, here's all the do's and don'ts. And some, some churches had it, but then denominations had it. And you looked at this list from this denomination. You put it with this denomination. There were some things similar, but then they added a few or deleted a few. And for many of you trying to figure out church, trying to figure out denominations, you're like, it's exhausting. I can't keep up with the list. I'm telling you, then don't keep up with Jesus. This is where we're going in the priority because the problem is the list becomes everything. And this is what he's driving at here. And you can see I'm starting to get a little worked up because this is what I spent 20 years in. I spent 20 years in uh, tithe and be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Never allow your hair to touch the top of your ear. Some of you all are a mess right now as I look around. (laughs) Dress this way. Don't smoke. Don't drink. Don't chew. Don't date girls that do. Uh, That was a sermon title in the church I grew up in. Uh, You know, don't go to movies, don't play cards. And then we had the big thing, can we play Uno? Well, we'll have to meet as the elders about to figure out if we can play Uno. I mean, it, I mean, we had our list. In 20 years, man, I knew the list, and I lived by the list. Man, and I can do this. God loves me because I'm keeping this list. But you know, I can't think of one message in 20 years on racism in the church I grew up in. Not one. What does Jesus say in Matthew 23, 23? You guys, well, first of all, he says says, you're hypocrites and you're blind guides. He says you tithe your mint and your dill, but yet you leave out the weighty important issues, big ones like justice and mercy. And for many of you that grew up with the list, over-righteous, and, and so I know people that have just said, I can't do the list. Well, let me tell you, the list does not bring you in a right relationship with God. Jesus brings you into a right relationship with God. And I have a list of things I do and things I don't do, but a lot of it is non-essential. And I'm not going to debate another Christian on all this stuff we want to do because, man, we couldn't go to movies and then Blockbuster came out. And we're like, we can rent them. Is that okay? Okay, you can rent them. You can't go to them. And you can see, when you're 10 years old trying to figure all this out, you're like, this seems hypocritical. You got people addicted to porn in this church, but yet they're here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, so there's some, this is the problem. And when people choose to live this way, the self-righteous, listen, whatever list you may have, it should be the overflow of your salvation, not the source of it. And there's nothing you can do, as Philip Yancey says, to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And what Solomon is talking about here is don't be legalistic. Avoid it. Avoid it. And for some of you, you're like, I did avoid it. I went completely the other direction. I tore the list up and party hard. Yeah. No. Don't do that either. (laughs) That'll get more silence at 1130. It is good to grasp the one and let go of the other. 
Now, this is the sum of all of it when you get to Ecclesiastes 12. What's the sum of everything we've learned in Ecclesiastes? Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. I've always loved the word balance, and I have friends that tell me they hate that word. Like, I, I love the word. I, I don't want to be, become a Christian that has a list and ho- shows it to everybody and pats myself on the back and becomes self-righteous where I'm doing all of these things, but then neglecting these. I'm not going to do that. And I don't want my relationship with the Lord to be like, I can do whatever I want because I have grace. I, I don't want to move toward legalism or a licentious lifestyle. Verse 19, wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. Get what he's teaching us here today. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous. No, not one. No one who does what is right and never sins. And that is why we need Jesus. This next one, I don't know, I think came from my years spent in Dallas. I was there for three years, and so that's where this next point comes from. Get down off your high horse. Get down off your high horse. And this is going to confront all of us. If we want to live lives of wisdom and get to the end as wise people rather than fools, we won't live that hypocritical lifestyle. I love this. Do not pay attention to every word people say or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself cursed others. This is why I wrestled for years. I had all sorts of insecurity early on in ministry going, man, after a sermon, people go out in their cars and they talk about me. And that's what it's saying here. You go out and talk about me. And now I'm great with that. You go out and talk about me all you want because I'll be talking about you. (laughs) That's actually why we have staff meeting. It's we all gather to talk about all the people in the church. So we just read, indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. So don't pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your own heart that you've lived that way as well. And isn't it something? We get to this place. I think wisdom understands. (laughs) This is why Jesus says, right, don't, man, don't judge because you need to first take the, the plank out of your eye, meaning I got enough to worry about in my life and my walk with the Lord than to constantly be over yours telling you how you're doing it wrong and doing it right. And then when I want to point things out in you, that may, we do this, right? We do this with the past. We do this with other people's lives. I may point something out in you and go, I can't believe you struggle with that. You know why I'm able to say that? It's the same reason you're able to say that, because I don't struggle with that. But here's what I struggle with. And guess what? That person doesn't struggle with that. But we do this. We go back, and I think we, we, we justify our sin because we're able to look at someone and go, whew, I can go ahead and participate in the sin over here a little bit. That I, I can do that because I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I'm not doing what he's doing. Can you believe what she said? Can you believe what he said? And all of this, in good times and in bad times, we'll want to blame other people, we'll hang out with the wrong people, we exaggerate the past, we'll point to our good behavior to try to secure good times. And the scripture says this, and I, I, before we close, I want to mention, because some of you right now, and this isn't a message on the consequences of your sin, it's the, the text is speaking of good times and bad times that fall on all of us. Uh, but some of you right now, 
you're living right now with the consequences of your sin. And, and this we, we talk about often, and this is where a lot of, of, of working with individuals one-on-one comes in. But because of your sin, it's cost your family, it's cost your marriage greatly, it's uh, cost you your job, it's cost you finances. What, I don't know, whatever the consequences are that you're dealing with. And right now you're trying to find a way to get out of these consequences. And uh, what we can offer you here and how we can encourage you here is not necessarily getting you out of the season, the stage, or the times that you're in or that you brought upon yourself, but we have hope in the name that is above every name. And we know that when you call out on this name, we know that when you lean in to other people who are calling out this name, we know when you trust this name in good times and bad times, when you trust that he is working things out, when you trust in this name, When you call on this name, your sins are forgiven, your future is heaven. Romans 8 puts it this way, familiar passage to many. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And some of you today, of all this wisdom that Solomon's been pouring out on us, your your walk away point today is crying out on the name of Jesus. Crying out to Jesus seeking forgiveness for your sins, walking in humility, finding good voices that will help you along in that journey. Because Romans 8 goes on in verse 38 to say, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in that name. And it is the name Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said... So today would be the day that you cry out to Jesus. And, and again, we're not a prosperity gospel preaching church. We don't believe you come to Christ and it's nothing but good times from here on out. I just, you, how do you read the Bible and get that? You don't. What we do know is that whether it's prosperity or adversity, whether it's good times or bad times, Jesus is with you through it all, no matter what. That we can promise you. We can't promise you the times. We can't promise you the length of your life. But however long you live, however long I live, I don't know about you, but I want, oh, I want to get to the end of my life as a wise person and not a fool. I want my kids and family and friends to gather around at my funeral, three and eight. Those are my service times. You know that if you've been <laughs> maybe 7.30. We'll see what Branson does As Tim Hawkins says, I'm going to put the fun back in funeral. I want my family and friends gathered around, and it's not about them saying, you know, I think it's one of the biggest tragedies of a funeral is we wait till that day to speak words of high value over that person. Say it with the person you're with right now. Don't wait for the day of their death. Don't wait for the house of mourning. But all of that eulogy and everything, that's great. I, I want my kids and my family and my friends gathered around people who are walking with Jesus because I told them about Jesus. They watch me walk with Jesus. I want this for each mom and dad and grandma and grandpa in here, that your children would watch you walk with Jesus. They'd see you walk with you. They'd hear you talk to the Lord from the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to sleep at night. And they one day will gather at your house in the morning and take to heart your death. And they will say, there's a wise man who walked with Jesus. There's a wise woman who walked with Jesus. Would you pray with me? 
Father, we take all of this wisdom uh, that we could just have more time to get through the whole chapter, that we would get to the end of our lives, running our race, pleasing you and leading people to you. There are many funerals in the days ahead for this church. There'll be many people gathered in the house of mourning that they would, they would ask the right questions, that many people would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they would confess with their mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart that he's been raised from the dead. And we know nothing will separate us from your love because of Jesus. And it's in that great name that we pray it and everyone agreed and said,